Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. see all of you, and I'm grateful for each and every one of you. Um, if you're joining us online or podcast, an app, whatever, I'm glad, I'm whatever, I'm just glad you're here as well. And I would like to, at this time, as always, I just want to invite everyone to get out their Bibles or get out a Bible app, your worship guide, and go to the book of Matthew, which is the very first book in the New Testament. Go to chapter 5, verse 6, if we're going to be picking up Today, and um, we're continuing in our series where we're looking at the Beatitudes. And um, you may say, well, what exactly are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are um, the opening lines in the greatest sermon ever preached. And you go, what, what, what is the greatest sermon ever preached? The greatest sermon ever preached is the Sermon on the Mount. It is. And you see, it is a sermon preached by Jesus, God in the flesh. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. When God preaches a sermon, that's the greatest that's ever been preached, man. And um, I don't know, maybe you've wondered, maybe you've thought about this, you've ever wondered, I wonder what it would be like if Jesus was to come and sit in our pulpit and preach. What would his message be like? Well, you don't have to wonder anymore. All you got to do is read the Sermon on the Mount because it's a sermon given by Jesus. It's really kind of a word-for-word kind of translation of, or just a, you know, just a, what, just writing down the words that he preached. It's a sermon given by God. I guess you could say it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an old school podcast, okay? Now, interestingly enough, if you study all of the Sermon on the Mount or even the Beatitudes as we are studying them, it's, it's, you find it's a little bit odd. It's a little bit odd because as I read it, as I study it, it seems to me that perhaps Jesus went to a different seminary than I went to because his sermons are a little bit different than the typical sermons that they are. Like Jesus, Jesus doesn't give you three points that all begin with the same letter. He, he doesn't do that. Jesus, Jesus doesn't tell a lot of jokes. He tells zero jokes. Z- Jesus, Jesus does not seem to be concerned with, I don't know, entertaining people. He doesn't have any cute, warm fuzzy stories, sermon preached by Jesus, it's hard, it's a hard sermon, it just kicks you in the teeth, Jesus, Jesus does not seem that concerned about the attendance of those people listening to him, I don't know, he doesn't seem to be concerned about making people giggle, I don't think Jesus had read the latest, I don't know, church growth book, I don't think he'd done gone to any of those sermon conferences, whatever, but I'll tell you what, what he tells you, you need to listen to no matter how hard it is, you've got to digest it. You've got to put weight upon it. And so you've got the Sermon on the Mount. He opens it up with the Beatitudes. We've talked about what does Beatitude means. It means blessed. 
And so in the first nine sentences of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. You do these things and you are blessed. Blessed meaning blessed by God, approved by God. God looks upon these things and he smiles. He's pleased with you when you do these things, all right? Eight of them, eight of them in leading up into the, the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes. Um, first three, hey, by the way, let me tell you something. This is, we, we say this is a short series, it's really not a short series. It's really just one sermon in three parts, okay? You got the first three points last week, right? The first three Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, okay? That was last week. Now we're going to look at the next three Beatitudes, all right? Let's just keep going. It, on your outline, it's going to say point number one. It's really point number four, all right? So here it is. Number one, next beatitude, a hunger for righteousness. That's what he said. Come on. Let me read verse six for you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Check it out, church. For they shall, they will be satisfied. That's, that's, that's beautiful. That is, that is amazing, all right? And I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it because I don't know. It's, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus talking about kind of food here. Food, hunger. I like food. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. All right. Here's how I want to break this down. Here's because I was thinking about this, okay? Hunger and thirst occur in the natural world. And so what I want to do is I want to look at hunger and thirst in the natural world, and then I want to apply it to the spiritual world because I want us to understand this. All right, because here's my thinking. In the natural world, nutrition, nutritionists, dietitians, they tell us that it's important to eat healthy. Now, you all know that. You've got to eat healthy. Everybody's telling you to eat healthy, right? They even say, I say they, they say stuff. They say, what they say? They say, they say, you are what you eat. I don't know. I guess they mean if you eat too many donuts, cream puffs, you might look like, I don't know, a walking pastry or something. I don't know. I don't know if you take to the extremes. I don't know. But there is, it's not rocket science. We know this, right? You, you eat bad. You're going to feel bad. You know, you, it's very important. It's, we know this. I, I know this from my own life. Here's, I'm gonna, this, is, this, is, this is a story from my own life, and I'm going to pull some principles from this story because it's true. I was thinking about it. So um, you, you guys know my wife and I, um, we lived in East Africa for nine years, um, Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, majority of the time. Now, in Dar es Salaam, um, it's a big city, whatever, but they don't have any fast food there. There's no fast food. You know, it's, not even a, there's not really a whole lot of Western food, period, there. You're not allowed, so I, you just eat what you can, okay? We, we do that, right? Now, by the grace of God, you know, um, I had, my, my wife got, got pregnant with my son, okay? We're in Dar es Salaam. Now, you cannot give, you can, but it's not recommended to give birth in Tanzania, Dar es Salaam, because of the medical facilities. And so we gave birth in Johannesburg. We, <laughs> she, I, I was with her, you know. Johannesburg, South Africa. So about a month before the birth, I go down there, and we're staying in this little guest house in South Africa, all right? Now, this little guest house, now, just let you know, right down the road, there was the Golden Arches, you know? I know that's not a big deal to you, but when you've been in Tanzania four years, you ain't seen no Golden Arches, I said to myself, I'm going to eat me a Big Mac, man. 
You know, I, I'm gonna eat me a Big Mac. I'm gonna eat me. I'm gonna eat me a Big Mac every day to the day my son is born. That's what I was gonna do. And so I did it. Now here's the deal. What happened? I start gaining weight. I'm gonna gain some weight. And um, you know, I tell my wife, I'm like, this is this is sympathy weight. And she's like, I don't know. It might be Big Mac weight. You know? But it's true, man. So I start eating this, and I'm like, uh, uh, you know, and you see, and I start feeling bad and all this. This isn't rocket science, right? In the natural world, right, matters what you eat. So here's kind of three principles I got from that. Real quick, it's in your outline real quick. We all get hungry. We all eat something, and what we eat matters, right? For my story, it's true, right? Now, take those. This is what I did, but I was thinking about this. Take those principles and apply it to the spiritual world, right? Look, look, look at it. Look, look. We all get hungry. Church, we all get hungry spiritually. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Amen. Praise his name. Also, he has what set, he has put eternity where? Into man, man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We see here a lot of things, but primarily we see, according to what we're studying right here, that God has put what? Eternity. Eternity is set in our heart. There's a void here. There's something in a set there by God, a God-shaped void. It points to God. There's something we need. We all get spiritually hungry, period. We need to know that. Not a man or a woman alive that does not long for, does not have an angst for this God-shaped void. It's placed in our heart by the sovereign God. We all get spiritually hungry. Everybody gets spiritually hungry. Second thing, like I said, we all eat something. We go and eat something. Well, that's spiritually, right? If you have eternity set in your heart, you got this hunger, you got this angst, for the Spirit, for God, for God, for God. You're going to search. You're going to find. I'm going to eat something. I will eat something. And the thing that you believe that's going to fill that void is the thing that you worship. You got that hole. You got that void. You got that you want it. What you think will fill it, you're going to worship it. So, 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 so me, I'm sitting there in Johannesburg. What? I think, I'm going to eat me a Big Mac. What are you, okay, I'm going to eat my Big Mac. But I'll tell you what, man, you want to fill that spiritual void, you got to be very careful about what you're eating. And that leads to the third principle, what you eat matters, does. It absolutely matters what you're going to stuff your face with spiritually, right? And anything you put in your, I say mouth spiritually, whatever, it's going to be in two categories. Either the thing that fills you spiritually is something that can be shaken, meaning it's made by man, or it's something that cannot be shaken, and that means God. And it makes all the difference in the world where you eat spiritually, because go back to the text, go back to the text. Only one is going to be satisfied, only one. Who? The only one that is satisfied is the one who thirsts for what? Righteousness. Righteousness in what? In Christ. Only Christ alone, period. That's it. There is nothing else. Only Jesus will satisfy, period. We see that. Matters what you eat. Matters what you're going to be snacking on. Something else I want to point out real quick in this, because this is, this is interesting to me, and I, just want, I, I kind of wanted to work this out. You get this beatitude, and there's a tension in the way the words are set up. There, there absolutely is. It says what those who hunger, 
those who thirst, but then it's contrasted with will be satisfied. That is what's curious to me. There's a tension there, right? There is. How am I, check it out, church, how am I, how am I to be hungry but satisfied, right? How can you be hungry and satisfied at the same time, right? Satisfied but never satisfied, full but yet empty, content but yet discontent. That's what the text is talking about. If I'm hunger for righteousness, I thirst for righteousness, I'm going to get a satisfaction if I'm seeking for that to be fulfilled in Jesus. How does that work out? This was my thinking. I know Thanksgiving is Tuesday, so maybe I'm thinking about food too much. But here's how I think it works out. I want you to check this out because I believe this sincerely. Okay, natural world. Let me tell you something. You know this because you're smart people. I like chocolate, all right? And the best chocolate is served with good coffee. Okay, this, 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 once again, this is not something you don't know. Okay, now every now and then I'll get some good chocolate and I'll get some good coffee, okay? And I will sit down and I will indulge myself in the chocolate and the coffee. And while I'm sitting down enjoying that, I am fully satisfied with the coffee. I am fully satisfied with the chocolate. But I kid you not, you've been there before. In the midst of enjoying it, I find that I am longing to do it again, to do more of it. So it is in the enjoying and finding the satisfaction in the chocolate and the coffee that I'm actually stirred up to even want more of it. I think that's how this works. I really do. It's a magnificent cycle. It's a spiritual cycle, right? The more one conforms to God's will, the more fulfilled and content they become, but in turn, they grow with a greater desire to get more of it. That's what we're doing, man. My hunger increases, my hunger intensifies in the very act of enjoying the thing that satisfies my hunger. That's God, and that's how it's supposed to work, and that's that beatitude, man. We're going to be, I don't don't know, man. You looking forward to Thanksgiving? Good. I tell you what, man, feast on Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're talking about. You will be satisfied. You will. Second beatitude, it's actually the, well, I can't do math. That's, that's, I'm not a mathematician, but that'd be the fifth beatitude. It's the second point today, a dispenser of mercy. All right. Once again, remember, this is Jesus, God in the flesh, preaching. Verse 7. Blessed are the... Oh, come on, guys. Blessed are the merciful. God smiles upon. God is happy with. God is blesses the merciful for they shall, I like the word will better, I think it's a better translation, will receive mercy. Okay, 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 okay. Let you know, I desire mercy, guys. I desire mercy, and I have been a recipient of mercy, but according to this beatitude, we're told that God approves of, smiles upon the ones who dispense mercy. All right. So that got me thinking. What exactly is mercy? What's a mercy? What is mercy? What exactly? That's a good question. What is biblical mercy? Well, it got me to thinking about this. I remember, I remember the first, I remember the first time I cried out, mercy. I'll tell you the story. I was eight years old. And my brother, he's a good guy, he's a good guy, but he had me on the ground and I was pinned, and he was doing this. You got, you, what's that? They give you knuckles and you do this little thing? 
what do they call that? Yeah, I call it painful. That's what I call it. And, and I said, stop, man. He goes, my brother goes, my brother goes, say mercy. Now, I didn't know exactly what mercy was, but I did know if I said mercy, the pain would stop. So I say, mercy. And he lets me up. Good. That, that's not the end of the story, because here's the deal. Two weeks later, I'm wrestling with my cousin. I got my cousin. And, um, man, I get him. I'm on top of him, and I am inflicting pain upon him, all right? Because that's what good cousins do. And um, he said, stop it. And I said, say mercy. He says, okay, mercy. And I said, I can't hear you. My hearing's gone out, and I keep, you know, more pain. You see, I had been a recipient of mercy, but I was not a distributor of it, right? It's easy to do, but that's not what this text says. God smiles upon, God approves of, God is happy with those who dispense mercy. Great. All right. Well, what is mercy? What is biblical mercy? In the Greek, in the New Testament, it's used in three ways. I have it real quick on your outline. I'm just going to go through them, right? First way it's used is extending comfort to the hurting. That's mercy. If someone is hurt, a disaster, you help them, that's mercy. Two, it's also used ministering to those in need. Right? Someone's hungry, someone's sick, an outcast from society. You offer them help, comfort, that's mercy. Third, and this one's really, I think, paramount, not administering justice when justice is due. That's mercy, right? So, for example, man, you break the law. And of course, I know none of you broke the law, so I'm not, it's none of you guys one of the other services, but let's just say, you break, you break the law, you know you broke the law, you deserve a certain penalty, but you don't receive that penalty, instead you receive mercy. That's mercy. And God says, hey, I want you to be a distributor of that. You received it. I would say in a nutshell, mercy is compassion and action, all right? I do, church, real quick, I want to make a... I want to make a theological distinction here. I want you to understand, mercy is not grace. They're two different things. We sometimes combine them, but they're not. They're distinct, okay? Mercy deals with the result of sin. Grace pardons sin, all right? They're different. Mercy extends relief. Grace forgives. Mercy heals. Grace cleanses. So they're distinct. At salvation, you get both of them, all right? But we're told here, that the person, the individual who distributes, dispenses mercy, they get a blessing. I don't know, what is the blessing? What's the blessing? What's the blessing? Mercy. Okay, good, good, good. That's good, that's good. But who do they get the mercy from? God. That's that. Now, is that not the mercy we need? That's the mercy I need, man. That's some mercy I need. I'm sitting here, and I, I, lo I love just pe <laughs> saying people's names, whatever, but just before the service, I'm talking to Emery, and Emery's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing good. I just wish I was a better man. He's like, me too. You know what I'm saying? I don't get what I deserve. I get mercy. And God says, if I am a dispenser of mercy, you're blessed with Mercy from who? God and Christians, church. Should this not speak most to us? Have we not received the infinite amount of mercy? Look, 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 I'll just, just a few verses. Ephesians 2, chapter 1. 
You, Christian, were dead in your trespasses and sins and were by nature children under God's wrath. But God, who is, what is he? Rich in mercy. He's not no pauper in mercy. He is extravagant. He has, and he's got much, much, much mercy because of this great love in which he had for us, Christian, made us alive in who? Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Look at Titus. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appear, he what? Saved us, not by works, thank you, Jesus, of righteousness that we had done, but according to what? His mercy. Christian, do you understand the amount of mercy that you have received in God from the works of Christ. I, you, deserve darkness. We got light. We deserve death. We got life. We deserve ruin. We got rescued. We deserve, deserve punishment. We got pardon. I got tons of these. We deserve, deserved wrath. I deserved wrath. You were looking, you were all looking at a man who rightfully deserves the wrath of an infinite God. I didn't get it. I got his love. I deserve to be left in my sins, but I got the sweet, sweet grace and mercy of God. So, my friends, I ought be a man who gives it liberally to others, and you ought be too. You ought be too, Christian. You got no right. You got no right to not extend mercy to anybody. For some reason, some reason, for some reason, you think you shouldn't extend mercy to somebody, it's only because you don't understand how much mercy you have been given. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Third, be attitude we're going to look at today. We'll pick up next week of the last two. A purity of heart. Oh, get ready, guys. This is craziness. This verse, this is craziness. Look, blessed are the pure in heart, come on, come on, for they will see God. That's powerful. The pure of heart get to gaze upon God. Is that not the ultimate goal? To see God, to look upon, to gaze upon, to adore, to sing, to worship and exalt the sovereign God of the universe? I mean, I know, man, I know. Was it John and 1 John both tell us no one's ever seen God, but there's hope. One day I will, there's hope. One day I will see God. I was thinking about this. No, I was, man. My fleshly eyes have seen some pretty amazing things. I remember, I remember one time, I saw something like 100,000 wildebeest running across the Serengeti and the ground shook. That was an amazing thing to see. One time, I, my wife and I and some friends, we climbed the volcano. We get up there and it's erupting. That's an amazing thing to see. Several times, by the grace of God, I've seen a Muslim man repent and call on Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing to see. Seen both my kids born, amazing thing to see, but I'm telling you right now, none of that compares to the fact that I can see the living God. 
that's amazing, that is, surpasses anything that I can comprehend. Okay, I want to see God. I want to see God. I want to see God. So the question is, how, how, how is that accomplished? Well, it tells us. You've got to be pure in heart. Okay, 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 okay. I want to see God. I've got to be pure in heart. That leads to three questions that need to be answered, and I'm going to walk through them real quick. First question is this. I want to see God. I've got to be pure in heart. Here's the first question. How pure do I need to be? Right? I, got, I, got, I, got, I got jokers come up, good guys, whatever. They don't want to be, you know, talking to me, counseling, whatever, young guys. Like, well, hey, Travis, how good do I need to be? I'm like, that's right, man. That's what I said. That's a lame question, man. I'm like, how much joy you want? You know what I'm saying? I want it all. I want it all. Well, it says the answer's in the text. It's always in the text. Blessed are those who are pure in what? Heart. The heart. Now, we could do the whole study. It'd take a while, but in the Bible, there's three dimensions to the heart. Mind, emotion, and will. We could walk through all of them, okay? Big picture is this. You have to be pure all the way to totality. Think, feel, and decide. So how pure do you need to be completely pure? All right. That's the first question. I want to see God. In order to see God, I got to be pure in heart. How pure? Completely pure. Okay. Second question. These are just logical questions. Next. How hard is that to obtain? All right. It's a great question. I want it. How do I do it? Good question. Right question. Right. Well, I think one of the difficulties is we have a poor understanding of the wickedness of our hearts. From the heart that all our problems come. I'm just going to read a few verses. I like reading these because they make me aware. The heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitful. Listen to this. Above all things and beyond cure. That's my heart, the heart of Travis. Matthew 15. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Mark 7, nothing outside of man can make him unclean but going into, by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of the man that makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, comes evil thoughts. That's the heart. The, the scripture is conclusive. My heart, my heart, my heart. Hey, listen, it don't matter what the scripture says. Listen, don't be kidding yourself. We all know this. You don't need the Bible to tell you this. We know this. All you got to do is look at the darkness of your own heart. Mixed motives. No, stop. I ain't, listen, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Mixed motives, distractions, divided loyalties. Perpetually, perpetually. My heart. One of my favorite quotes, I'm going to share this with you. It's by a Russian novelist. Here's what he says. This really is one of my favorite quotes. I didn't go to a quote book by the way, there are quote books that pastors use. You know, you just subject, quote, put it in. This is actually one of, I love this. I say it to myself. Here's what he said. I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. And that's true. So, how pure? Completely. How hard is it to do in and of myself? Impossible impossible, but I want to see God, man. 
That's the last question. How can it be done? Oh, man. No, no, you read the Beatitudes. They'll beat you down. I ain't gonna read them. I don't. Don't give me no Sunday school answer. I'm gonna read that stuff. That's out of my reach. I can't do these things. The Beatitudes drive you to despair. None of us perfectly do these things. None of us perfectly exhibits poverty of spirit. None of us perfectly mourns over our sins. None of us are perfectly gentle. None of us perfectly thirst. None of us are perfectly, you know, pure in heart. What? No, you read it. What's the purpose of this, God? No, why? Why would a sovereign God spend time asking me to do things that I can't accomplish? Why would I not have been better off had God not told me any of this? What's the benefit, man? What's the benefit of telling me to do something I cannot do? Why? Why? And church, that's what you call the blessed despair the fortunate hopelessness, because when you get to that place, man, it drives you to one place, and that is to Jesus, and that's the point. Ain't gonna nobody be reading the Beatitudes. I can do that. You cannot. People go around. I'm, I'm, well, whatever. It's Jesus. I love it. Love it. God be broken, man. God be broken. God be broken. God, I gotta understand. You can't do this in of yourselves. Repent, believe, Christ saves. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It is all possible in Jesus. It's only possible in Jesus. Jesus makes us new. So, so, how am I going to see God? How am I going to see God? How am I going to see God? I've got to be completely pure, yet I cannot do it. Repent, believe, Jesus saved me. He does. He's good. He takes you. He indwells you. He carries you. He sustains you. And when this flesh fades and it will, these eyes will open. Guess what, church? Guess what I'm going to see? I don't see God. I don't see God. I don't see God because of what Jesus did. Blessed. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are those who are dispensers of mercy. And blessed or those who have a pure heart, because they're going to see God. Next week, we're going to look at the last two Beatitudes. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this night, and thank you for Silverdale Saturday nights. We continue to pray and ask that you would bless us. We want to be people who walk and know and obey and exalt Christ, and we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. 
So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.